football season is just around the corner, and MyBookie is the best place to bet football this season. They have easier deposits, faster payouts, and the best customer service. MyBookie is simply the most accurate and trusted source for odds information, analysis, and wagering opportunities on the internet. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to MyBookie.ag to open and fund your MyBookie account today and start winning with the best. Now on to the show. Infirmary Media. People engage in stop for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting from the new Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult audio retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. On this episode, I, Mark James, step back into the arena of awesomeness to compete with August of 1995 in our first ever Worst Month Duel. And on this episode, I will be facing this man. Hey, this is uh, Jay Sandlin. Find me on Twitter, Instagram at Jay Sandlin underscore WHN, Facebook at Jay Sandlin Writer, and JaySandlin.com, where you can find all of my updates, uh, my podcast, What Happens Next Versus for Superpowered Debates. And my upcoming book releases. Um, I've got a book coming out from Mad Cave Studios in December. It's Over the Ropes, a tale of 90s pro wrestling. Kind of appropriate for today's debate, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Hell yeah. That's what we were talking about before this. That was the the glory days of wrestling for a lot. And of that us. was exactly why I picked it for the setting. They, they didn't ask me to write about the 90s, but they said, we want you to write an underdog pro wrestling story. And I think all writers have to think, what kind of story am I going to write that I would want to read? And once I decided it needed to be set in the 90s, everything else came together. Not just the 90s, but the 90s in the South. Ooh. Nice. Can't wait till that comes out. I'll uh, definitely pick up a copy of that. Oh, I'll get you a signed one early. All right, Jay. What are the dates you're dueling with tonight? Well, as it turns out, I have got August 1983 with the worst of the worst. And back behind the bench is the current Dueling Decades champion and judge for this episode, it's Man Crush. That's right. Let's do this. I know Mark is dying, so we're going to like bang right through this. Just a touch. I know you're sick. Yeah, (laughs) if you you got the flu, we're going to fly through this as fast as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, sometimes it's good to be bad. So let's play Dueling Decades. 
All right, so let's get this uh, this coin toss on. I'm going to do the same thing as last time. I'm going to use my CNS counter. Uh, like I said before, I like to use a CNS counter to make sure that I'm good to go for the gym. So I'm going to tap this thing as fast as I can for, what is it, five or ten seconds? You guys are going to guess the number. All right, here we go. Oh, I'm doing good on this one. Oh, that's not too bad. All right, Jay, you are the visitor, so give me the number. Eight. Jesus, what do you think I am? I have cerebral palsy or something? Jeez, eight. <laughs> what do you got, Mark? 32. 39. Damn, you're fast tonight, man. <laughs> I did. I'm fucking on, man. I had a bang earlier today. I'm Whew. ready to go. It's like he was stroking one out before the show. <laughs> Jesus. That works out well. Mark goes first. So where are we going? All right. You know what? Let's start off with movies. Yeah, I'm kind of interested how you do this because there's always strategy. Like you want to use your worst for the first round. In this case, your worst is every round, I would hope. It is. So I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You know what? I want to talk about these movies first. So we're going to go movies. Why not? I remember on this show, somebody actually picked movies once and won the game. So we'll put that theory to the test. All right. So my first selection released August 11th, 1995. A kid in King Arthur's court. I don't know if you guys had the disprivilege of ever seeing this one. Of course, it stars Thomas Ian Nicholas, who we all remember from other great hits such as American Pie. And wait, is this the guy that I can't fucking stand from American Pie? It is the whiny bitch guy. This is his second <sighs> baseball movie. You would know him as Henry Rowan Gardner from Rookie of the Year. Yes. Okay. <laughs> his only redeemable movie, like the rest of them, are. God, I fucking can't stand this guy. Yeah, a kid in King Arthur's court is it's a little league player is sent back to medieval times where he is given the task of saving Camelot. Hold on to your hats, folks. Currently has a 4.7 on IMDb with uh, just over 5,000 ratings. The movie was budgeted at about $15 million. Cumulative worldwide gross, just over $13 million. So definitely took a wash on this one. So that's my first selection. A kid in King Arthur's court had some nice cameos in it, though. I don't know how they pulled the strings to get Kate Winslet, Daniel Craig. Well, that that's Kate Winslet before Titanic, though. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Good so point. That kind of makes sense. Who was the other one you said? Daniel Craig. Uh, I mean, granted, uh, it was a young Daniel Craig in 95. He was. We didn't know Daniel Craig a lot in this country in 95. I'm sure he was right, doing a lot England, more overseas, though, yeah. right? All right, so it's a piece of shit. <laughs> My second film is a classic. Um, this is the fifth entry in this timeless series of the 80s. It's just one that should just be all be held near and dear to our hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about The Redemption, Kickboxer 5. Yes. <laughs> Released <laughs> to video August 1995. Spoiler, you find out in the very beginning of the movie... David Sloan is murdered, and uh, it's up to his boxing champ, uh, Matt Reeves, to avenge his death. It's such an awful series because <laughs> Sasha Mitchell is amazing, as amazing as he could be in two through four, except for the scene where he's got the Zumba's on and no underwear and his dick's just flapping all over the place while he's running down the street, which is frightening. But five 
it almost seemed like they took a step back even with the uh like any video production quality they might have had in two through four they threw it out the window in five because it looks like shit (laughs) what a garbage movie the entire sloan family is dead at this point yeah it kind of just shits all over everything they had built for the first four movies i mean come on it's kickboxer it's not like it's you know there's not a huge compelling tight-knit story here it's not a war and peace or anything it kind of is a little bit well it it kind of is (laughs) More nudity, though. Loosely based. (laughs) Very loosely. So those are my two picks for bad movies. August 95, Jay Sandlin, tossing it over to you. What do you got, man? Bring it. Well, first off, I'm going to have to call you out because I loved a kid in King Arthur's Court. It was a (laughs) mainstay movie rental for me when I was nine years old, okay? I rented that and Rookie of the Year all the fucking time. So Rookie of the Year is fine. You can watch that all day long but as soon as that kid hit his teen hit teenage years horrible yeah we're talking uh with kickboxer you know a series that maybe had gone past its prime you had kickboxer but you know kickboxer was never that great to begin with let's talk about further falls from grace <laughs> we've got Smokey and the bandit part three. Oh god did anybody even know this movie existed? Sadly. I mean, August 12th, 1983, 85 minutes, comedy. The uh, the Enos duo convinced Cletus the Bandit to come out of hiding, you know, much like they had to convince everyone else to come out of hiding to do this movie. And then they <laughs> went straight back into hiding right after. Uh, I mean, come on. This is like to say that the Smokey and the Bandit of 1977, starring Burt Reynolds and Sally Field, now starring... um. Well, Jackie Gleason and Jerry Reed. We, we've we lost the original cast that made it great. It says Smokey's back, but I mean, is he really? No, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I would watch Kickboxer 5 on repeat before watching this one time. But if that's not enough for this worst of the worst, I've got to give you one of Tom Cruise's. Now, this, this is an opinion, okay? This may be someone else's best. But the worst, I'm going to have to say, August 5th, 1983, a suburban Chicago teenager likes dancing in his underwear. You know it. It's Tom Cruise in Risky Business, where he cuts loose and hires a prostitute and ends up becoming the biggest pimp of the city, which I much like his later career in Scientology. And I'm going to say it's the worst because if you're going to say it's the best, then it just means you like watching Tom Cruise dancing around in his underwear. And are either of you guys going to admit that? No, but I will admit to loving Curtis Armstrong, and he holds that movie up. Um, who did he play? He was like was the his, friend, like his best his friend. Buddy. Yeah. He's the best Booger. buddy in everything. Yes. He played Booger. Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. Very good. He is, Yeah. And he's also um, Metatron on Supernatural. He is very good. I'll give you that. Um, but I think what held the movie up, the, the only holding up for me was the the women in the movie because oh, they're yeah. quite beautiful. Yeah. Rebecca DeMornay and her tight, tight shirts. Yeah. Just don't let her babysit your kids, man. <laughs> She'll breastfeed them. <laughs> Don't leave Tom Cruise home alone. I guess that's that's what's worst about it. But yeah, the, when you think about the plot, like describe it, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's kind of the worst. We're like, okay, a nice boy is left home alone and ends up becoming uh, a big pimp. And then another pimp comes over and threatens to kill him. And it's just a, a whole thing. It 
that and Smokey and the Bandit 3, I would watch your two movies on repeat, which I actually did with a kid in King Arthur's Court. I'm still mad at you for calling that a worse selection. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, let's toss it over to you for the verdict. All right. So uh, just touching on risky business real quick. August of 83, or actually all of 83, is a huge year for Tom Cruise because he had four movies and three of them, he was the starring role. Only one of them was he the, uh, like a secondary role, which is uh, The Outsiders. So it's hard to like discount that movie. It's so quirky. Like, all right. So his parents were away for how long? Like a week and he becomes a pimp and they steal all his shit and that whole thing with the crystal vase thing like who gives a shit um <coughs> egg. But, yeah, yeah the egg the fucking crystal egg who cares that's but the thing about that is that is so 1983 to have a crystal egg in your house yeah. so there it's a little bit redeemable it's not like fantastic but it's okay smoking the bandit three total piece of shit i totally forgot that that was even out uh, but the thing is with Kickboxer 5, and Jay, you even touched on this too, it's a bad series, but it got worse. Like, Jean-Claude Van Damme leaves, so they bring in Sasha Mitchell, who is like the worst kickboxer ever, to take over in 2, 3, and 4, and then he decides in 5 that he doesn't want to do it. I don't know if he was doing step-by-step step or whatever and decided that it was better <laughs> for his career. And they have this other guy come in and do it, and they kill off Eric David and Kurt Sloan are now dead. So the whole series is like over. So why do you even have a kickboxer five? So that's really bad. And then Kid and King Arthur's Court, I just fucking hate that guy. I just want to punch him. <laughs> not maybe not as an adult, but like as a teenager, American Pie. I always wanted to just pop him right in the mouth. Like, pow, pow, pow. As soon as you found out he was eating pussy in that movie, you're like, oh, fuck that kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the kid's getting blown all the time, and he's like, he's mad about it. Like, dude, you know yeah. when people weren't getting blown in high school, you fucking douchebag? Yeah, he was so goddamn privileged in that movie. Fuck him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I have to sigh. Hey, man, he had he had to turn in his bonds for that. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that kid. Uh, I got to give this one to 95. That's a pretty shitty month. And it kind of leads on like that episode we had a little bit ago about the summer of 97. It, just like that, about three years, 95, 96 had some hits. And then you had 97 and 98. And then 99, it actually got good again. So maybe it's, I don't know. I got to give it to 95. Oh, wow. All right. You're you're the shittiest, Mark. Oh, Finally, my talents are excelling at something. All right, so for our next category, you know what? Let's go to television. All right, so we'll start with my first selection, and that is the end of Yo! MTV Raps on August 17th, 1995. Uh, numerous high-profile names in the hip-hop world closed out the show. We had Salt and Peppa on there as well, and Fab Freddy Five. It, you know, it just marked an end of an era for the original Yo MTV Raps. Of course, in 96 to 99, they stripped it down, repackaged it as Yo, but it was not the original show. It was just kind of a shell of its former self. So yeah, the end of Yo MTV Raps, August 17th, 1995. My second selection also ended an era and started a new one. Unfortunately, this one was equally as bad. My second selection is the launch of the TV series 
Kirk. Kirk is a Kirk was the sitcom that was the spin-off vessel for Kirk Cameron after his seven-year role as Mike Seaver on the popular ABC sitcom Growing Pains. Uh, the show revolves around Kirk Hartman, not Cameron, Hartman, an aspiring illustrator and recent college graduate living in the high society of Greenwich Village after his aunt decides to move to Florida and get married, probably as one of the Golden Girls. Uh, Kirk is left in charge of his younger brothers and sisters and also stars Chelsea Noble, Will Estes, Cortland Mead, and a few other people you've never absolutely heard of. Uh, show only ran a couple of seasons, did 32 episodes total. Um, yeah. Kirk Cameron. Wow. I was not even aware. <laughs> I thought he went from growing pains to, uh, what's that uh, evangelistic uh, network that he's on? Bible Man. Yeah, when he did the Bible CBN. Man show. No, that wasn't Kurt Cameron. That was the dude from Eight is Enough. That's not the same guy? No, Kurt Cameron was not Bible Man. I mean, he was Bible Man in real life. I was dragged to uh, <laughs> a, a, a evangelist conferences to have to hear the dude speak um, as a teenager. Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh, my God. He, that's one of those ones where you put your hands on the screen, right? I was in person, though. Well, I mean, just like regularly. Yeah. That's like one of those. He was on one of them. Uh, TV he's been shows. on that network. Yeah. TBN. Yeah. He's all, um, and he's always with the guy that's trying to discredit science now. Uh, anything. I think you may have won worst with just saying Kirk Cameron's name, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I totally Shit. did not even know about the show. Somebody had the great ideas. Hey, let's give Kirk Cameron his own show where he's the focus of the show. He's the star. Yeah. Not a great idea. I mean, to be fair, not many people knew about it back then, you know? Yeah. Not, not everybody knew about what his deal was. Um, man, I wish he was on TV in 1983, right? <laughs> <laughs> Growing Pains didn't start till like 87. Oh, well. My turn. Yeah, you're up, man. Let's see what 83 holds for us. Well, August is a tough time, but I do, I do have a little bit of information here. Um, one of the long-running soap operas... Uh, Search for Tomorrow began on CBS September 3rd, 1951 and concluded 35 years later uh, in 1986. All right. This is one of the programs like Guiding Light, As the World Turns, The Edge of the Night, you know, the, the soaps back when pe before people had streaming. This is what they binged, right? This is the 1983 binge. And in August of 1983... There was actually, talking about suckiness, uh, this was on August the 4th. The cast of NBC's series Search for Tomorrow was forced to do a live show for the first time since the program began there in the 50s uh, because of the loss of the regular transmission tape and the backup tape. Somebody lost them both. Oh, man. And lost their job in the process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, not only did the cast have to perform live, which we all remember from Dustin Hoffman's Tootsie movie, you know, can be problematic. Um, somebody obviously, you know, what would their job be? Tape handler? Yeah. You have one fucking job. Don't lose a tape. And if you do lose it, there's a backup. And, oh, look, you lost that one, too. So, yeah, it's got to be the worst of the worst. I mean, losing your job, watching Kirk Cameron, come on. Um, and speaking of worst of the worst, how about Bill Bigsby? You know, my second one here, Bill Bigsby, the man known for playing Banner in the original Hulk series. 
How about a show featuring what you think is going to be Banner, but it's just the actor playing another role, and he never turns into the Hulk? How disappointed do you think kids were when they opened up the TV guide and saw in August of 1983 a story about Goodnight Beantown, an American sitcom that aired on CBS for two brief seasons in 83 and 84, and it starred Bill Bixby of Incredible Hulk fame as a television anchor. So, I mean, maybe this was an inspiration for, you know, Anchorman later. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it actually, it has to do with the plot is that the station management pairs the reluctant anchor man with a female co-anchor. And it follows their rocky relationship. So, yeah, that sounds a lot like... um uh, Anchorman. But the funny thing in August, if you were opening up the uh, TV guide, you would see that there is a story in the series describes Bill Bixby's part and his female co-anchor. And it reads in here, if this series doesn't last, it won't be CBS's fault. For the new season, the show has been slotted between the Jeffersons and Trapper John MD in the network's blockbuster Sunday night lineup. Ugh. Yeah, blockbuster. <laughs> they were already planning for the show to fail. It seems like in this all, and it and it did one year later in August, the next year August. So yeah, that's two people losing their jobs in my example. Damn. And it was also, it was the last major television series to feature the great Bill Bigsby. It killed the man's career. Oof. Mm. Jeez, way to bring the downers here on the uh, worst of episode. You won't like me when I'm fired. <laughs> Man, this is actually rough. Uh, when Mark first put out Yo! MTV Raps ends, I was kind of pairing that with uh, with Jay's Search for Tomorrow, and then I had Kirk and Bill Bixby kind of lined up together. But now that you say it like that, you know, you got Bill Bixby coming to an end, basically, and <laughs> Yo! MTV Raps coming to an end. The way I look at it is like this with the OMTV raps. It's also kind of like the downfall of music videos on MTV. Yeah. It's it's signaling the time where we're not getting the full length videos anymore. We're getting like the TRLs where you only see like, you know, a minute and a half of the video and they're right. playing the same shit. It's Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Limp Biscuit and shit. What happened at this time that I remember because that's what I did is when they took off all the hip-hop videos off of MTV, they all went over to BET, and they had whole hip-hop blocks in the afternoon where they'd play. So it all turned out great. <laughs> Until they <laughs> got rid of blessing. music as well. Uh, so I really got to pair up Search for Tomorrow. I really wish I've seen that Search for Tomorrow, because I bet you it's like a total piece of shit, because none of those people are used to doing a live show. And yeah, was, I love how he ooh. said that they were forced to do it. Oh, like, I'm the sure they were. The director's off stage at fucking gunpoint. <laughs> you know? uh, oh, uh, there is no evidence to the contrary that that did not happen. <laughs> and it only lasted a couple more seasons after that. But I, you know what? I have to go back to 95. I think the UMTV raps thing is really pivotal and it's really shitty. The Kirk thing also shitty. But the guy did go on to the whole TBN thing, and he's been thriving at that for over 20 years now. But what a stupid decision, like, at that point 
to give him his own series and make him an illustrator, change his last name. If you're going to spin off of uh, Growing Pains, just make him a Seaver. Yeah. You know, don't like we're not stupid. We know who the guy is. Just make him, uh, you know, Kirk Seaver. Yeah, I got to go with 95. I just think the whole YoMTV Raps thing is bad. The the fact that that ended kind of kicked off a whole like we're getting rid of music. We're putting all this reality TV bullshit, more TRLs and uh, and all that. So it's a bad time for MTV. That's I think that from when we were growing up, that's where we remember the videos starting to end, starting yep. to go into that teeny bopper era and reality TV. So I got to say, August 95, you are the worst. Yeah, we had to go to friggin' uh, BET and the box to watch music videos. This I didn't even get the box. Never got the box. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> All right, so the next category, you know what? Let's Since we're talking about it, let's just stay with music. Right. We're already talking about music, so let's go right there. And I'll start off with my first selection by asking you gentlemen a question. Tell me all your thoughts on God. Are you going back to Kurt Cameron again? <laughs> Tell me all your thoughts on God, because I'd really like to meet her. <laughs> and yes, unfortunately, for the worst, oh, August, for the worst of August of '95, I get it. I am picking the album "Pet Your Friends" by the alternative rock band, loosely rock band Dishwalla. Mm. Of course, that quote from their hit song "Counting Blue Cars." You know, on music, I didn't want to insult anybody's musical tastes, so I just went by what I remember, and. I don't remember ever knowing anybody who owned this CD, wanted to own it, or listened to it. And the only reason any of us know this song is because it was in Melrose Place and all other TV shows. But I can't think of a time that anybody ever said, oh, stop the radio station right there. I, I have to listen to the new Dishwalla song. What was the name? Of it? it was Counting Blue Cars, right? What was the name of the album? Yeah, Pet Your Friends. Mm, that wouldn't go over well. It, it was their debut album. I, there are people that like Dishwalla, though. Not me, but there are people no, out there. They will fight you because you said that. Oh, I'm sure. But, you know, I mean, there was a lot of bands I could have pulled, but you would have never heard of them. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted to pull names that people would at least know what the hell I'm talking about. And I'm not just making up some stupid band, you know. And they they played the shit out of that song on the radio that year. That's what I'm saying. Nobody ever wanted to listen to it. You were forced to listen to Dishwalla. <sighs> Just like the people from Search for Tomorrow. All right. My second selection for music is a perfect example of the sophomore slump. This is the follow-up album for the band Letters to Cleo. Released August 1st, they released their sophomore effort, Wholesale Meats and Fish. Had one semi-single on it called Awake. Album just never really got off the ground. I did find an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer dated August 13th, 1995, where they talk about the album. They give it a review, but they really don't say if it's good or bad. But what they do say is, ironically, Letters to Cleo's accurate cover of Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, which is on the Spirit of 73's three compilation disc, which also came out the same week, is really good. So they didn't include that on the album. It was it was a special CD where they had different artists covering different bands to promote women's rights and the right to vote and stuff. Letters to Cleo didn't even put that song on the album. So you say women's rights to vote in 1995? Yeah. Oh, God. Where were they? That's why it's called The Spirit of 73. 
Ah, okay, because duh, because it's a cover. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. So what the article does state is, ironically, letters to Cleo's incredibly accurate cover of Fleetwood Mac's Dreams is a painful reminder that although Wholesale Meats and Fish is initially appealing, it is unlikely that it'll be remembered in two weeks, much less two decades. So I think that's a pretty scathing review of that album and pretty much sums it up. So those are my music selections. We got Dishwalla and Letters to Cleo and all its melancholy glory. All right, Jay, what do you got? I'm going to do my best here. Um, my whole point is fuck disco. <laughs> Man, just, just disco. That's all I got to say because, you know, the 70s, sure, disco was a thing. But by 83, wasn't everybody kind of sick of disco? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that be the case. However, good sir, from August 7th through the 27th of 1983, the UK's number one song was Casey and the Sunshine Band, Give It Up, spending three weeks at number one in the UK, showing that maybe that whole punk revolution thing just didn't do a whole lot after all. <laughs> Let's see, the the track uh, Give It Up there, um, you know, from the album All the Night's Work, it, it did bring Casey some, you know, return to success in the UK. And then it showed up two years later in the US Top 40. I mean, it... Disco is like music herpes. You hate it, but it just keeps popping up. Do you really want to get music herpes here? Is that what you think? Uh, Epic Records actually refused to issue the song as a single due to its prior failure in the U.S. And because of that, a frustrated uh, Casey of the Sunshine Band formed his own Mecca Records. He released that single himself on that label in like a desperate attempt to garner the song some success in America and yeah, that failed too. And then that actually led to the group falling into kind of a stasis around 1985, which is kind of part two. I guess this is, I don't know if I can count this as a two-parter, but yeah, this song, other than being on number one on the UK charts, led to Casey's retirement. So, I mean, disco was dead, but then August of 1983 killed Casey's career. And he came out of retirement again in 1991, just proving disco will never die. It, it just can't. It just should. But we want it to. <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band also happens to be the nickname for my dick and balls. No way. Is that so? <laughs> so true story. My my dad, um, my, my dad actually uh, had a band and he called it Casey and the Sunshine Band like that. Nobody was going to notice, you know. And then my second one, I, I only have one word for you guys. Are you ready? Okay. One word. Kajagugu. Oh, no. No. Don't, don't do Kajagugu. it. Kajagugu. The release <laughs> no. of Too Shy from the British New Wave band, best known for this actual hit single, Too Shy, which reached number one in the UK singles charts and the top 10 in numerous other countries. And instead of talking about the lead singer's flock of seagulls haircut with solid black on the sides and <laughs> platinum blonde on the top, I'm just going to sing, ooh, shy, shy, hush, hush, why, why? Ooh, too shy to shy, a hush, why, why? The hairdresser oh, said to the bass God. player one day, of, uh, he said, do you want an afro, dreadlocks, or a mullet? Uh, you know what the bass player said? What? All three? Yes. Kajigugu? Oh, no! 
It's a song too 80s even for the 80s. I mean, this makes Rickroll look like a uh, fucking brilliance. Um, but that mullet, just look, just Google the mullet sometime. And uh, this song was also featured on the uh, Netflix show Bandersnatch recently, the Choose Your Own Adventure, which I loved. But man, if you got to the Too Shy song, um, you knew that your character was dead. So, I mean, come on, Kaja Gugu. You got to throw me one here. Holy shit. Okay. That's bad. It's just one of those songs that just, it just seeps its way into your brain and rots it from the inside. It's terrible. And the fact that you sang it and it'll be stuck in my head, I guarantee it all night. But this is the way that I'm looking at that. You know, like those movies where there's been like a portal to hell, like closed off for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. And then all of a sudden some dickhead like opens it up. Yeah. Like the gate. Yeah, you just became that guy releasing the Kajigugu <laughs> too shy. Like, I forgot all about that song. Had no idea who Kajigugu was until mm. you started singing it. And now it's out in the open and we're all in for it. So I got to get like, this is a no brainer. I got to give this one to uh, 83. And the thing with Dishwalla. I wasn't a fan. You weren't a fan, but they played it all the time. It was a terrible song. But the Letters to Cleo thing, I actually liked Letters to Cleo. And I saw them in 95. They were at the Alternative Sports Festival. Uh, They opened for um, Mighty Mighty Boston's. And they were actually really good. So they're one of those 90s bands. And we all know bands like this, that they were so overproduced on the album. And then you go see them live and you're like, this is not what they sound like on the album. They're way better. And I remember clearly because it was pouring outside and it was everybody was miserable but they came on and we were into that like it was cold it was shitty and then they started playing and everyone just got into it and you kind of forgot what was going on so that always kind of held a spot in my heart for uh, letters to cleo i probably haven't listened to them in like 10 years (laughs) but um i never knew the name of that album though and that's that time period where everyone was using those weird fucking names like wholesale meats and fish, or you had American standard, which was the name of a toilet bowl yeah. by seven Mary three and like all these weird ass album names. So, uh, but yeah, the fact that he opened up uh, the gate on this one with too shy, got to go with August of 83 is the worst. Even though looking back at August 83, it has some good shit, but the fact that you picked that ruined the entire month. So Thank you very much, and uh, you control the board. Kick off the new year with great deals at the Ram Start Something New sales event. Now, during Owner Appreciation Month, well-qualified returning FCA lessees can get a low-mileage lease on the 2019 Ram 1500 Classic Express Quad Cab 4x4 with a V6 engine for $159 a month for 39 months with $3,799 due at signing. Tax title license extra. Call 1-877-RAM-5722 for lease details. Requires dealer contribution to lease through Ally. Current lease must end by 2-1-2021. Extra charge for miles over 32500 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery from dealer stock by 2-3-2020. Let, let's go for the news. All right. It's two to one. We're going to two point rounds here. So this is where it counts. And this is where Jay is good because last time Jay was on, he was losing three to nothing going into two point rounds and shut us out in the back end. A little bit contested. Because of John Cross's uh, rulings on that one. But is that one still keeping you up on the night? <laughs> it does, man. I still got me all like, oh, I don't even want to think about it. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. You know, I wish that these were like funny worst news stories, but, you know, we're going for the worst here. So let's just get worst of the worst and ruin everybody's day even more than Kaja Gugu. Um, first off, in world events, 
the uh, South Korean Boeing 747 jetliner bound for Seoul, uh, apparently strays into Soviet airspace. And the Russians of 1983, you know, the consummate bad guys in every movie, yeah, they, they shoot it down. A Soviet Su-15 fighter, after tracking the airliner for two hours, decides, yeah, we really need to shoot that thing down. And 269 people all died. No survivors. Oh, and if that wasn't enough to ruin your day, in U.S. events, at the time, the president was Ronald W. Reagan. Vice president was George Bush. Uh, life expectancy was 74.6 years. And on August 15th, the United States admitted to shielding a former Nazi Gestapo chief, Klaus Barbie, age 69, known as the Butcher of Lion, wanted in France for war crimes. August 15th. Yes, the U.S. admits to shielding Nazis, something that would never happen today, of course. They had him held up in the dream house. Yes, yes. He, he was known as the Butcher for personally torturing <laughs> French prisoners of the Gestapo. And the, after the war, the U.S. intelligence services employed him for his anti-Marxist effort and also helped him escape to Bolivia. He's uh, suspected of having a hand in later a coup d'etat uh, in 1980 after the fall of the dictatorship. And Barbie eventually got extradited to France in this same year, 1983. And then he got to die in prison on my fourth – no, my fifth birthday. September 25th, 1991. Nice. Happy birthday. Just what you wanted. <laughs> yes. Like, I was five years old. That was exactly what I wanted at five years old. I wanted this fucking Nazi to die of stomach cancer, please. <laughs> Ooh, that's a bad one, too. Oh. Yeah, wow. there you go. There you go. So, and his name is Barbie. I mean, I guess he had a chip on his shoulder because he was named after a girl's doll. <laughs> it's a boy named Sue. So, yeah, beat that, man. Give me some worse news than, you know, all the people dying on the plane and, you know, Nazis. All right. Well, my first bad news story is the start of uh, an art installment, which is not something you normally would think is bad. Well, this is pretty bad. August 1995 was the start of a living art installment at MoMA at the Modern Museum of Art by Tilda Swinton called The Maybe. If you guys have never heard of this, this was the first time she's done it. She brought it back again in uh, two, in 2013. She brought it back. What it is is Tilda Swinton will show up at the Modern Museum of Art sometimes. Unexpected. There's no set schedule. It could be any time during the summer. And she will sleep in a glass box unannounced. So if you happen to visit the museum, you may find Tilda Swinton sleeping in a glass box for up to eight hours at a time randomly hmm i would have rather seen her shit in a glass box i think i would have too that's uh, art i have a conspiracy theory on this i'm not big on conspiracy theories you guys know that but mine on this one is she's such a powerful actress where she's like man i go to fucking art shows here all the time and i get drunk i don't want to go home what if i just fool them and say I'll just sleep in a glass box, and that can be art. It's just a crash pad for her, man. That's all it is. Interesting theory. All right. That's my first bad story. And my second news story, we're going to go to August 9th, 1995. Uh, it's a day I will never forget. 
I remember that morning I was sitting in the late morning, early afternoon, sitting on my front porch, smoking a Marlboro Medium, listening to the radio when I heard that Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead had passed away. Words that would forever change my life, although at that point, I was about a year away from becoming a full-blown deadhead. It was a year before you got blown by a deadhead? Yes, it was the first time. No. (laughs) So when it comes to me personally, the loss really is immeasurable. Uh, Jerry Garcia, man, there's really, unless you guys want me to go into it for about four hours, I'll cut this one short. From, From my dollar, there's nothing worse than the death of Jerry Garcia, August 9th, 1995. Oh, you put me in a spot. This is kind of one of those things where I think you went into that thinking this is a slam dunk, kind of like we did on our last episode where we were like, oh, shit, we got Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet, and Poison Look with the Cat Dragged In, slam dunk, got music, and they came out with fucking Pearl Jam 10 and Cypress Hill debut albums. In this case, Man Crush, you know, it's for everybody, it's probably not that impactful. A lot of people don't listen to the dead. For me, this was like when Elvis died or when Kurt Cobain died. Or it's, oh, no, no. Or it's, impact, it's definitely impactful. It's it's one of those things. We got over it with the like John Bonham thing and stuff. But, you know, if it doesn't hold that much weight for this episode, I'm fine with that. I got to talk about Jerry on an episode of this show. And for that, I am truly grateful. All right, good. So we'll keep it at that because I have to give it with his because number oh, one. Even though. <laughs> he's he's got a fucking airliner that gets shot down and 269 people die. It's horrible. And then he's got the U.S. shielding a friggin' Nazi with the last name of Barbie, of all things. Uh, and then your Tilda Swanson story. That's where I think he kind of loses one because it's a quirky kind of stupid story, but it's not a bad story. Can't tell me it's good. It's not good. And she's horrible to look at. I wouldn't want to even look at her. Like on a, I, I hate looking at her in a movie. Her face is just frightening. So her in a glass box is just that scary <laughs> shit. That that's nightmares, uh, <laughs> nightmare fuel. But I have to give it just the plane getting shot down alone. That's horrible, yeah, horrible. That's, yeah, we're talking a mass tragedy of epic proportions. So yeah, I can agree with that one. That's yeah, definitely Jay, a downer. Jay had to go and bring things down, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry it had to be such a downer, but if it makes you, you know, in in Germany, there were um, limited release uh, Nazi Barbies <laughs> that, you know, had they had Heil action. You, you hit a button on the back and their arms would automatically oh. do the Nazi salute. Now, I wish we could like mash up your two stories. And there was really like almost 300 Nazis on a plane that got shot down in Russia. Oh, then we could celebrate with a little bit of... Oh, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, while the plane was going down, they had to listen to Kajigogo the entire time before they crashed. So that's the last thing they hear. That is payback for the Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shush. All right, so I got to go with August of 83. That gives Jay a one-point lead at this point. Three points to two, but as we all know, it comes down to the last round quite a bit and it's going to do it again in this time but this is the first time ever that it's come down to sports in round five so this is interesting to say the least it's one of the reasons i started off with movies wanted to shake it up a little bit oh you did so going to sports we've got august 19 1983 the sec 
you know, where I come from, actually. I, I live in SEC country. I'm from Alabama. I'm sorry. So, yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. I, I get a lot of uh, time to read comics to myself during football games. <laughs> Longtime Alabama rival LSU uh, footballer Billy Cannon sentenced to five years. Now, you know, when you hear about athletes getting sentenced to things, you normally think what? Like partying, drugs, I mean, Prison. It was the 80s, so cocaine's – yeah. Well, despite his successful uh, practice, you know, in business um, after football and retiring, he returned to Baton Rouge to be a dentist. And apparently being a former football player just doesn't necessarily pan out – I mean, you're going to pan out later. Um, dude got busted for counterfeiting. The counterfeiting former football player turned dentist – and this wasn't just a little bit of counterfeiting. Dude printed $6 million <laughs> in U.S. $100 bills, uh, some of which he stored in ice chest buried in the backyard of the house he owned and rented out to tenants. Wow. Better than bodies. No, but, bro, if you're going to hide your stash of, like, counterfeit hundreds, which, you know, would look indistinguishable from regular hundreds, why are you going to leave it with renters? Plausible deniability, man. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Everyone knows that. Wouldn't it be funny, though, if they had started, like, paying their rent with them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one sports story. And uh, a little bit more into sports. Um, you know, you've got, in 1983, one of the most epically bad teams in one of the worst seasons, if not the worst season in maybe all of sports history, You've got the 1983 NBA San Diego Clippers. Oh, man. They were bad. And with that, they have got the Clippers in San Diego. It was their last year in San Diego. They basically, what was it Ron Burgundy said? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> they had to say, go fuck yourself, San Diego, and got run out of town. Uh, because the Clippers in San Diego, 83-84 was their worst year. And basically, the reason they had to leave. In August, uh, August 26th, Drafted to the San Diego Clippers are the most unlucky motherfuckers in the NBA. James Donaldson, Greg Keltzer, and Mark Radford. They were the first round draft picks for the Clippers in um at the coming over there for August 26. You also had some others come that year. Um it, the head coach was Jim Lyman, and their record was 30 and 52. They on the road, only won five games, so they were only able to win at home. Um, com you know, combination of shitty trades, an inept coach, the owner. They only had one good pick, and that was Manute Ball. Oh, and even then, Ball. And he was not used well. He never was. And this is, um, yeah, this is some basketball shit. The worst season, never got to the 50% win record. So, I mean, how do you get any worse than that, guys? Wow. They right, so you're, bad that but your year. actual pick is the three first round picks in August of uh, 83. Well, <laughs> sure. I mean, the actual pick, because you know, <laughs> that, that record is not that bad. I mean, as a Knicks fan, especially like within the past five years, we've had we've eclipsed that multiple times this past year. I think we won 13 games. Um, yeah, I, I, is that bragging? I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> well, he, here's the thing about the Knicks. They tanked, and the year that they decided to tank when the best, like a generational player is coming out, they tank on the season that the NBA changes the lottery rules, 
Yeah. And they end up with a third pick instead of the top pick, even though they're the worst team in the league. That's what happens to the Knicks. That's the worst franchise. So I can't really see that being a bad franchise, except for the fact but that... But are the Knicks still in New York? Yeah, well, they are only because... Okay, the so the Clippers got run out as a you know as a result of what was happening there in August with bad trades. They were eventually run out of San Diego. Oh, that's a terrible name, though, too. The San Diego Clippers. Ugh. So yeah, um, also in sports, August twenty third of nineteen eighty three came the end of a beautiful streak. I mean, we love seeing streaks in sports, but we hate to see them end. And uh, a man who was known for streaking in sports. Is got to be the Hall of Famer Pete Rose, and uh, his streak unfortunately came to an end of 745 consecutive games played in baseball. Yeah, and this came, yeah, began September 2nd, 1978, ended August 23rd, 1983, when a manager, you know, this manager worse than Michael fucking Scott, Paul Owens, he started Tony Perez at first base. And yeah, he plans to use Rose as a pinch hitter in the 10th inning. Oh. Instead, yeah, Joel Youngblood ended the game with a two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth, ending the consecutive games by Pete Rose. Oh, what a kick in the balls. That's bad. The children in the stands who came to see Pete Rose continue his streak, they were crying into their Cracker Jack boxes. They were, you know, just saying, where is he? Where is our hero, Pete Rose? And... You know, they were devastated, probably. I'm, I'm sure they were. Um, <laughs> Nobody's ever devastated when it comes to Pete Rose. And for the record, I mean, like The Undertaker went like 21 and 0, and everybody thought that was a big deal. But Pete Rose, 745 consecutive games played. I, I don't think I've played one consecutive game of baseball. That's impressive. So, I mean, I, I'm 745 behind or 744 away from beating Pete Rose's record, guys. And that was his second. And you mentioned it earlier. We, we talked about this and you said as a joke, you know, a guy that was streaking, but he also had a 678 game streak. He had the 44 game hit streak. What did he what did he end up with? Four thousand one hundred and thirty one hits or thirty two hits. A lifetime ban. And a li- he got the lifetime <laughs> ban streak. He, this guy's done it all, but um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately for Pete, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. actually holds the record of two thousand six hundred and thirty-two Jeez. consecutive games played after his final game on September nineteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. So, Pete Rose, you got buried, man. He he almost got buried by Cal Ripken Jr. as badly as Kane. WWF <laughs> multiple times. How many times has Kane took him out? Several times. I actually got to meet Pete Rose uh, in Las Vegas when I eloped and ended my streak of singleness. <laughs> Did he bet you on how long it would last? I mean, no, he was charging people to meet him, so I didn't really want to pay for it. So I just kind of saw him from a distance. Oh, you you met Pete Rose on your trip when you eloped, not you eloped with Pete Rose, and that's when you <laughs> met him. I can neither confirm nor deny, but... um. <laughs> If we did get married, then I guess Tony Perez would have been my divorce lawyer because he ends things for Pete Rose, doesn't he? Source <laughs> oh. All right, cool. You know, you can't make shit up. So you just get what you get. And that for that month, that Pete Rose thing alone is pretty shitty. And especially the way you explained it with the whole Tony Perez thing and then the, the home run in the bottom. Yeah, of the yeah we'll put you in Ugh. in the 10th inning. You know, you'll be a pinch hitter and maybe continue your streak. And they, you know, bottom of the ninth gets ruined. 
so close so close and people always say like oh p rose is a douche and all this stuff that's why wouldn't you i be would a be a total too? asshole after that yeah yeah absolutely Jeez. all right so what do we got in august of 95 all right so august of 95 sports now see we replaced hot products with sports for this battle but you know i found a hot product that also happens to be sports oh shit August 1st, 1995, the release of White Men Can't Jump, the video game on the the Atari Jaguar. This game would go down to be known as one of the worst basketball games ever created and one of the worst games on the entire console. It featured 2D sprites in a 3D environment with a floating camera angle. You could punch your opponent's. Kind of sounds similar to what you'd see in NBA Jam, but don't ever get the two confused. Uh, the graphics were just absolutely abysmal. Text covered up half the screen. And if you were lucky enough and had the discipline to sit and play through all the entire game modes to finally make it to the tournament, it's one matchup and then it's over. It, it, the game was just a complete letdown on top of the horrible graphics. So, yeah, that's my first pick. White Men Can't Jump, August 1st, 1995. Video game extremely loosely based on the 1992 movie. Matter of fact, the game itself has absolutely nothing in common with the movie other than you're hustling for money playing street basketball. No Wesley Snipes in it. No Woody Harrelson. Not even a Rosie Perez anywhere to be seen. I'm glad that you brought up the date, though, on that one, because the fact that it's three years separated from the movie makes it even worse. Yeah. Everyone's forgotten about White Men Can't Jump at this point. Man, I wish Mike was on here for that. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure we'll hear from Mr. Mike Ranger on that pick. So my second pick is another story I distinctly remember from August of 1995, and it took place 10 days After I remember sitting on my porch, smoking a cigarette, hearing about the death of Jerry Garcia. It was at night, and I was sitting on my back porch listening to this radio broadcast of this event. And it was an event we had all waited for. Matter of fact, people had waited over four years for this man to come back. And he came back, and it was Mr. Mike Tyson as he fought Peter McNeely. Yep. Everybody (laughs) waited for this fight, and if you don't know... The fight lasted only 89 seconds, with Tyson earning an easily victory via disqualification. McNeely started the fight by aggressively attacking Tyson. As soon as the bell opened, Tyson ran to avoid McNeely's punches. It was just a complete clusterfuck. Yeah, it was bad. I remember listening to it on the radio, and we're like, that's it? It's over? That's the whole fight? They ended up going on to make $63 million in pay-per-view buys for this, which breaks down to about $707,000 a second. Good God. Yeah, McNeely took a lot of damage in that fight. Vinny Venturi entered the ring to prevent McNeely from taking any more damage. That caused Judge Lane to end the fight and award Tyson the victory by DQ, of course, because the manager came into the ring. But yeah, 89 seconds. It was it was almost an embarrassment for the sport of boxing. There was so much hype that he's coming back. It's Mike Tyson. Of course, he was out for four years for his su- subsequent arrest and conviction for rape in 92, which he served three years in prison for. 
but he was going to come back and beat up a white guy from Boston. Everybody wanted to see it. And it lasted 89 seconds. And it wasn't even a contest. I kind of disagree. I don't think it was a disappointment. It was what people wanted to see him back and that he could still destroy somebody. So they put up a, t- a tomato can for him. You know, yeah, but for everybody who paid that money for pay-per-view. Well, they knew what they were paying for. Back then, pay-per-view was what? Probably $29, $39.95? Oh, this was probably a $50 fight. Well, he's not going to come out. It's a lot like when Muhammad Ali first came back from his um, arrest, you know, his own arrest, and he fought Jerry Quarry before they would let him fight Frazier because they're like, hey, we need to see if you haven't lost a step before, you know, we put you up against a holy field. Yeah, but there's a huge difference between the reason Muhammad Ali got arrested and Mike Tyson got arrested. Now, reasons aside, so, it's just kind of the first fight back. You know, it's all the war- right, got to have that public, warm up. Right, but the public perception, I think, was a little bit different in both cases. And I think with Tyson being away for so long, everybody had kind of missed him so much from the world of sports because he was that villain. He was that bad guy. We kind of wanted to see that. And he was gone for four years. And then we finally get him back, and it's 89 seconds. Yeah, I wrote an article for BuzzFeed a few years ago that Mike Tyson was the Ronda Rousey of his day. When Ronda Rousey was in her prime, you know, you would pay yeah. you would pay that $50 knowing that you're probably going to see a fight that would fit into an internet gift the next morning. <laughs> it was like Goldberg. Yeah, that's what, yeah, and that's real. what the people wanted to see. Yeah. All right. That's what I got for the worst of August 1995. For sports. For sports. Gotcha. Okay. So let's just uh, recap your picks because it's been a while, but we got uh, the uh, the old Billy Cannon being sentenced for five years for counterfeiting $6 million and burying it into his uh, his renter's backyard and getting caught, uh, which ties loosely to sports because he's a former LSU football player. Then uh, your bigger one was the Pete Rose streak ending at 745 and being such a kick in the dick the way it happened, that's really shitty. I don't know if he would have ever broken Cal Ripken's record, but even if he would have gotten like the National League record or something like that, but to have it end in such a fashion is just cruel, even for a guy like Pete Rose, which a lot of people can't stand for some reason. And then we uh, we jump over to 1995, August 95. And we get the white men can't jump video game, which I didn't even know existed. And it came out three years after the fact on the Atari Jaguar or Yaguar, <laughs> however you want to say that. Oh, gosh. And then we well, here's here's the kicker. And I know you threw this out as bad. But the fact that that Tyson McNeely matchup brought in ninety six million dollars. I don't know how bad that is because they see at the time when they put him against McNeely, they built McNeely up to the fact where he was like a top 10 WBA guy already at this point. I don't know if he was like five or six or something. And I remember he only had like a few losses or like one loss or he whatever. He actually went into the fight at 36 and one. Okay. So he had one loss. Yeah. So they yeah. had, it's not like they were throwing him like any old body because he had already built up quite a resume. But the fight was a shit fight. But it was like what Jay was saying. It was just that's a Tyson fight. That was what people wanted to see. The ending was a little weird because the the manager came in with a whole DQ and shit. And we didn't get the knockout that we wanted. But I would say that that was a successful event. Like if you would have had him going against Evander Holyfield, that's bad. That's like monumentally bad biting the ear and all that shit. That would have been like the monumental sports pick. 
Yeah, I just looked at it from a sports fan's perspective, and I wanted to see some athletic competition from Mike Tyson because we hadn't seen it in so long. So that's why I picked it as the worst of because, yeah, he delivered on what Mike Tyson normally does, but, you know, it would have been nice to get a little something more, a little competition for the guy. Come, That's what you wanted to see a Tyson. Dude, after you saw Tyson yeah. get knocked out by Buster Douglas in Japan, every image was soured for every child and, like, young adult male that looked up to this guy walking down to the fucking ring in a towel and umbros and knocking people out <laughs> in 35 seconds. I love, love my umbros. It's like we said, it was like Goldberg, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Goldberg goes in, boom, hits the guy, jackhammer, spear, it's over. After a while, that gets boring as shit. And you'd like to just be throwing a bone every now <laughs> and then. Me, where wait, he gets let a little... me ask you a question, though. If Gold, Goldberg goes away and comes back, which he like he just did, <laughs> do you want to see him in an extended athletic battle or do you just want to see him spear a guy do the jackhammer and it's over which is exactly what he did to lesnar two spears a jackhammer and it was over and everybody loved it yes yeah Yeah. you don't want to see more than that they finally knew what to do with goldberg they're like let's just play to his strengths and not try to be something he's not well maybe mike tyson should have just played with him like a cat with his prey for a little while just to feed the fans a little more action dude was longer than 89 seconds dude was mad he was mad there mad. were people that weren't even in their seats yet, and the fight was over. Yeah. There were people still filing in, beer in hand, tickets in hands, the ushers leading them to their seat, and the fight's over. And I people bet they leaving. told that story to the rest of their lives, that they went to the Tyson fight and didn't even make it to their <laughs> seats. They had a story to tell forever. All right, listen, this is how it's going to boil down for me. SEC, uh, Billy Cannon uh, with the counterfeiting, I'm chucking that, and uh, the Mike Tyson thing in my eyes. I don't think that's a bad thing, so I'm chucking that. So it comes down to Pete Rose, the 745-game streak versus White Men Can't Jump, the video game. (laughs) And and I'm breaking your heart, Jay, with this one because you did a phenomenal job tonight. But I got to go with White Men Can't Jump video game because it's hard to even say. It's And the fact that Pete Rose was so far away from the record, uh, it was just that was a real kick in the dick. But the fact that White Man Can't Jump video game three years after the movie on a system that nobody bought, 2D sprites on top of a 3D background, like just that is pretty bad. That is pretty bad. That's bad. That's bad shit. So I got to edge it out with August of 95, and I will be edging it out later while I'm listening to Too Shy, Kajigugu in my head. Thank you for that. You'll always have that, Jay, but I have to give this one to August of 95. Take it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, take it. I can't believe I edged out that victory. (laughs) Thanks, Jay, for the uh, stiff competition on that one. Hey, you just tell the little kid who is still, he's now a very messed up adult because he was not able to see Pete Rose play that game. You you just tell him, hey, it was because of this video game, you know. <laughs> yeah, it would have been great if he went a little longer. But What if somehow the same kid who uh, didn't get to see Pete Rose was like the one kid who bought the white man can't jump? A few years later, <laughs> it was actually uh, it was Snow, the guy that came out with the song Informer. Oh, jeez! <laughs> awesome. And on that note, Duelers, we're going to end this game right here. But thanks again to Jay Sandlin for showing up tonight and uh, nearly kicking my ass. So on a worst month duel, if you guys like what you're hearing, if you want to hear more worst month duels, 
Let us know what you think. You can hit us up over at facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, and of course over at DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to us on iTunes and on CastBox. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Hey, have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media. Visita Sprint esta semana y encuentra las mejores ofertas. Apresúrate y visita una tienda Sprint hasta el 26 de enero y recibes por cuenta nuestra el nuevo iPad con una pantalla retina más grande de 10.2 pulgadas y teclado inteligente. Además, te damos 100 dólares al cambiarte. iPad de séptima generación con 32 gigas por 0 dólares al mes luego de crédito mensual de 19 dólares con 17 centavos que se aplica dentro de dos facturas por 24 meses. Con verificación de crédito y nueva línea en plan elegible. Si cancela temprano, el saldo restante será exigible. Impuestos se pagan al momento de la venta. Requiere teléfono activo en la cuenta. Con tarjeta Mastercard prepagada que se envía luego de traspaso. Inscripción en línea y 60 días de servicio en una nueva línea.